From a studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. Exploring the world of Canadian cannabis culture, one toke at a time. Now, here's your host and bud tender, Gary Johnston. Let me welcome you back. This is episode 124 of the Cannabis Podcast. Maybe this is your very first visit. If it is, well, thank you for coming along for the ride. You are going to hear information about cannabis for the next 30 or 40 minutes or so. And before we get started, let me remind you this program is intended only for those 19 or older in your jurisdiction and is intended purely for entertainment and perhaps educational purposes. You should always consume your cannabis responsibly. And have I ever been responsible in my cannabis usage? (laughs) Since prior to the last episode, that's when I started my cannabis break, just returned from Australia, and I have been cannabis-free for the last three weeks. In this episode, we're going to talk about a whole lot of things that's not cannabis-free. For example, you've heard me talk about the excise tax a long time. We had Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs on, leading the Stand for Craft group, trying to get that excise tax addressed. Well, guess what? The amount of unpaid taxes so far is now approaching $200 million. I've got a story on that. This is also the month where the extracts classified as edibles... Those are the ones that have 10 milligrams per piece and sometimes 10 or 20 pieces in the package for THC levels in the package of 200 or 100 milligrams. Those are going away at the end of the month. In a related story, the OCS recalls a mint CBD spray for being an unlicensed prescription drug. That story is coming up as well. And we have been saying ever since the cannabis legalization occurred and they chose that 10 milligram limit for edibles. Now, we've always agreed that for for a novice, that's a good dosage. But for experienced users, it's just laughable. Finally, somebody has listened. The Competition Bureau has sent a request or a report to Health Canada urging them to increase the amount of THC in edibles. We have that story too. Plus, on Cultivar Corner, my first Cultivar Corner back since my trip to Australia and my tolerance break. We're heading back to the Kootenays for Woody Nelson Glade Runner. Delicious. Nice to get back to the Kootenays. All of that and more on episode 124 of the Cannabis Podcast. And of course, I have to recognize the fact that I was away when the last episode was published. And I wouldn't have been able to do that without some help from my friends or, in my case, help from my family. Thanks to my son, Ian, for publishing the last episode. Thanks, Ian. I really appreciate you jumping in to help me there. That long-awaited, I talked about it a bunch, that I was heading to Australia to meet my granddaughter, Kira, see my daughter, Sarah, again, and spend a bit more time with her husband, Josh. It was a great visit. We had a fabulous time. I must say, I've never had so much Australian smoked meat. (laughs) Just fell in love with my granddaughter, which, of course, is no surprise. Lovely to see my daughter again. Just the, the beautiful life that her and her husband have built for themselves in Darwin. It was a fabulous visit. Now, I know that's not really cannabis-related, and that's what you're here for, but I just had to mention it. And speaking of had to mention it, I don't think my son-in-law was too pleased when I put a fridge maggot of the Cannabis Podcast logo on his fridge. (laughs) Why do I think that? Because he did mention it, and he didn't say thanks. All right, that's enough of the personal details. Now let's get to cannabis. And while I don't generally like to start on a down note, (laughs) I'm not actually, because... By the way, the motivation for this episode is, in fact, what's being used on Cultivar Corner. Woody Nelson, Glade Runner. The download I refer to is the unpaid cannabis tax in Canada balloons to almost $200 million. This is a story from mjbizdaily.com and written by Matt Lamers. Covered a lot of Matt's stories. 
The amount of unpaid federal excise tax owed by Canada's cash-strapped licensed cannabis producers more than tripled in the last fiscal year from a year earlier as companies complain they're getting buried by government fees and levies. Federally licensed cannabis producers owed the Canada Revenue Agency $192.7 million as of March 31st, a more than three-fold increase over the 2021-22 fiscal year's $52 million. Levy debt has been on a steep upward curve since Canada legalized cannabis in 2018. Canada's excise duty imposed on producers' dried cannabis is either $1 per gram or 10% of the value of the gram, whichever is greater. As of the end of March, the levy debt stood at $147,425 in 2019, $4.4 million in 2020, $16 million in 2021. This massive and accelerated growth of total excise owing as well as total number of licensed producers in arrears is indicative of a sector-wide inability to survive under current excise tax policy, said Dan Sutton, CEO of British Columbia-based cannabis producer Tantalus Labs. And, of course, we had Dan Sutton from Tantalus Labs, the founder of Stanford Craft on the Cannabis Podcast. That was back on episode 110, if you'd like to check it out for yourself. Different excise rules apply to various cannabis derivatives and other products such as edibles. The data obtained by MJ Biz Daily shows that federal tax debt is piling up at an increasing number of licensed cannabis producers. In March of 2020, only 68 regulated cannabis businesses owed an excise debt to the federal government. One year later, that had shot up to 141 companies with excise debt. As of March 2023, that figure has skyrocketed. 213 companies were approximately 70% of the 305 licensees required to pay excise duty. As cannabis excise debt soars across Canada, the Canada Revenue Agency has been increasing the pressure on producers with outstanding payments. One letter the agency sent to a licensed producer and obtained by MJ Biz Daily used the subject line, Legal Warning About Your Cannabis Duty Debt. The Revenue Service warned the business, if you do not pay the full amount or respond to this letter within 14 days, we may enforce cannabis duty provisions of the excise tax 2001 without further notice. MJ Biz Daily asked the Canada Revenue Agency how many legal warning letters had been sent to cannabis businesses regarding their outstanding levy debt, and the response was the CRA does not release information that could jeopardize the integrity of the tax system. Tantalus Lab Sutton argues Canada's tax policy for cannabis was built around an egregious miscalculation of long-term wholesale price. The excise formula was created by policymakers who expected wholesale prices for flour, the most popular consumer segment, to be at least $10 per gram. Instead, actual prices are less than a dollar in some cases, leaving almost no margin for licensed producers. The original estimation of $10 per gram wholesale price has never been close to reality, and LPs are buckling under the weight of a tax burden that often exceeds 30% of top-line revenue, Sutton said. Government has acknowledged the need for recalibration as early as 18 months ago, but continued inaction has pushed the entire industry, especially small business, to a critical breaking point. Current wholesale prices are closer to $2.75 per gram or less, depending on the product with some flour coming in under a dollar per gram. The lower price means that cannabis producers are paying an unexpectedly high excise tax, one that was based on a wholesale price nearly four times the current level of wholesale prices. In 2022 alone, cannabis wholesale prices crashed by more than 40% as struggling cultivators chose to sell off their unsold marijuana instead of destroying it. The average price per gram for bulk wholesale flour in 2022 was $1.60 a gram on the Canadian Cannabis Exchange, a live trading platform for B2B wholesale marijuana. Consumer prices have been in free fall since 2019, the first full year of legalization as the Canadian market was flooded because of cannabis overproduction. Private sector profits are few and far between, but governments at various levels have made a windfall from cannabis sales. 
The total excise duty assessed by the CRA on cannabis producers swelled to $752 million in 2122, up by almost half from 2021 fiscal year. Canadian provincial and federal governments collected more than $1.5 billion in cannabis-related profit and tax revenue in fiscal 2021-22. Over the same 12-month period, retail cannabis sales in Canada amounted to $4 billion. That means before any profit was made in the private sector, 38% of all cannabis-related revenue went to the federal or provincial governments. The federal tax, three-quarters of which is shared with provinces and territories, isn't the only way the government collects taxes and fees from cannabis businesses. In the 21-22 fiscal year, which went from April 2021 to March 2022, government-owned provincial cannabis authorities' profits totaled $332 million, according to StatsCan. Other tax revenue from Canadian cannabis sales in that year were harmonized sales tax of $236 million, goods and services tax $110 million, provincial territory sales tax $110 million, other provincial territory revenue $9.8 million. Still, Canadian governments at all levels are missing out on millions of dollars in unpaid taxes and fees when cannabis producers ultimately fail. When FINA Holdings, formerly known as CanTrust Group, filed for creditor protection in April, its fourth largest unpaid creditor was the Federal Tax Collection Agency and was owed approximately $870 million. Health Canada, the federal cannabis regulator, was owed almost $100 million. The town of Pelham, Ontario, where a cultivation facility was located, was owed $23,000. <laughs> I'm sorry, but after reading a story like that, I still can't understand how people in government think that the Canadian cannabis industry is thriving because it isn't the excise tax is destroying so many small companies. When is that going to change? From studio high above the clouds of the Okanagan Valley, this is the Cannabis Podcast. And I have to say, it is kind of nice to be back in those clouds high above the Okanagan Valley. This is a story that popped up for me while I was away, and I was so pleased to hear we finally had some change. You may remember we had the BC Cannabis Summit back in April here in Kelowna. Mike Farnworth, the vice premier and the solicitor general, was there. Many people expressed a concern about the fact that we still had our windows covered in our cannabis stores. From a safety perspective, this was fabulous news. And this is a, a story from stratcan.com, and thanks to David Brown. Cannabis stores in BC no longer need to worry about being fined for having cannabis products visible through their windows. The BC government announced today that provincial cannabis regulations will no longer require the cannabis, cannabis accessories, or their packaging labeling within the store have to be hidden from the view of anyone passing by outside the store. The BC Liquor and Cannabis Regulation Branch, the LCRB, which oversees cannabis regulations in the province, will instead have a term and condition prohibiting window displays of cannabis and cannabis accessories to people outside the store, keeping provincial regulations in line with federal limitations around product visibility. The move is a step beyond changes first made by the province in 2020 when the government removed their rule that required retailers to be enclosed by non-transparent walls. This had, in effect, forced most retailers to use window coverings they said were unsafe and at times in conflict with local zoning rules. Many retailers said the change didn't go far enough, though, since provincial and federal regulations still say the cannabis cannot be visible in areas where minors could see it, which could be as simple as someone walking by a store on a public sidewalk. And a sidebar on that. <laughs> what happens if they see the packaging? <laughs> They're going to grow up and become a... They could see beer as they walk by a liquor store. <sighs> Sorry. End of sidebar. 
Vince Collard of 642 Cannabis in Sook, B.C. says he's happy to hear the changes, but is frustrated. He had to spend thousands of dollars on a window covering he now no longer needs. Still, he says it's a good change that will make the store more welcoming. We spent a lot of money on this. We tried to make it a little more welcoming than just a black window or like something bad is going on there. Mike Babbins, the owner of Evergreen Cannabis in Vancouver, shares a similar sentiment. He says he's happy the rule has finally been changed, but is frustrated it took so long and that the announcement came with no warning before a long weekend. He hopes to have his window covering on his store down by early next week. Finally, says Babbins, this is great. We've been fighting for this since the day we got our license. And I have to have another sidebar. I didn't realize that this was posted. That's a typical government strategy when they don't want a lot of attention on it. Throw it out on a Friday night, the last story to go before a long weekend. I didn't realize they did that with this one. End of that sidebar. The newest change by BC is similar to changes made in Alberta in 2022 that also removed the section of the provincial regulations that prohibited products from being visible to minors outside of stores. Retailers in that province expressed similar safety concerns, and the province's messaging for making the change spoke to these concerns as well. Farnworth discussed the legislative changes at an industry event in Kelowna in April, saying he would be taking the issue to Cabinet for discussion. He mentioned looking at the issue from a public safety lens since many retailers have expressed concern that the lack of visibility into the stores makes them easy targets for robberies. BC's rules for retailers previously stated that cannabis, cannabis accessories, and the packaging and labeling of cannabis and cannabis accessories could not be visible from outside that store. Andrea Dobbs, one of the owners of the Village Bloomery with two locations in Vancouver, says she was very happy with the news. I'm grateful to all the retailers who made noise. I know the RCBC, the Retail Cannabis Council of British Columbia, put some energy behind this, so I'm grateful to them as well. I'm looking forward to waving hello to passers-by and to feeling seen. Feeling seen to me means feeling safe. I was so happy to hear that news. Fabulous. They finally listened. They finally heard that piece. And there is another organization that apparently has been listening as well. Edibles. The dosages may be getting higher. That story's coming up as well. THC, CBD, terpene profiles, what's in me? Oh, please explain to me. Go to our corner. Go to our corner. Oh, yeah. Go to our corner. Please explain this stuff to me. On Cultivar Corner today, we are heading back to a place that I spent a lot of years, and that is Nelson. In the West Kootenays of British Columbia, down in the lower southern portion of the province, beautiful city of Nelson. Population there has been about 10,000 people since time immemorial, it seems. <laughs> Seriously, you go by, the population seems to always be around 10,000 people. A great population, and apparently, well, not apparently, definitely it has a reputation, the Nelson area, the West Kootenays, for generating some fine cannabis over the years. I knew a few growers who grew in the West Kootenays in, in the Nelson area. They grew some pretty fine weed, and now we're finding out a new company to the market is also growing some pretty fine weed. The company, Woody Nelson. Now, if that's not a beautiful play on words, <laughs> I don't know what is. Yeah, and I'm sure you get the Woody Nelson part of it and why there there is a bit of a play on words there. That's where they are located. And they are growing some pretty fine weed. What are we trying today? We are trying Woody Nelson Glade Runner. Just picked this up today. When I open the jar, beautiful aromas inside. And they say they're going to be hints of green apple and some cookie dough. 
Definitely can taste some green apple, or can smell some green apple. I guess I'm not tasting it, but... Mmm. And I have to say, when I opened the jar, which was, by the way, packaged on March 10th of 2023, I think that's probably a data point I should start including in all the cultivar corners, so we, we have things on an even playing field. I opened the jar. There was two buds inside. The one bud is one I have used to roll the joint for today's cultivar corner and also to supply the content for the Crafty Plus. That means the other bud that was inside of here, 3.16 grams. Not bad. <laughs> and not only not bad in terms of size, beautiful in terms of look. Let me pull up the juicer's loop. And we've got frosty fields of trichomes all over this handcrafted beautiful beautiful bud of glade runner now what is glade runner it is a cross of animal cookies and cushman's number 11. first of all let's tell you a little bit about the story of woody nelson before we get into the weed oh nelly being raised in these mountains nelson is dear to our hearts it's a really special place all natural and blessed with awesome people whose passion for cannabis is matched with a love for the great outdoors and real friendships, which is what brought us back. The founders grew up shredding these local mountains on skis, bikes, and other homemade machines. Then we went away to see the world. We knew we'd be back one day to build something really cool, and here we are 20 years later, happy to be home. We're very proud to invest in our community and to grow lifelong roots. We partnered with Selkirk College, Kootenai Association for Science and Technology, and the Nelson and District Chamber of Commerce to support their respective missions. In addition, we've been working with real rad artists for all of our Woody Nelson visuals, which you're seeing come to life on this website, the packaging, and throughout their 8-mile Woody Nelson facility. Now, of course, that's 8 miles out of Nelson, in case you didn't know. <laughs> the coolest thing is definitely working with and hiring new and amazing talents from Nelson and the Kootenays. These people bring the Woody vibe to life, and they thank you for that process. The Woody Nelson Production Facility is 26,000 square feet of vertical farming equipped for cultivation, processing, and distribution of small-batch cannabis. Located in the heart of the Kootenays, Nelson, our production facility, serves as a regional hub, helping local licensed microproducers bring their craft cannabis products to market. And speaking of beautiful artwork, if you go to, and I have a link, of course, back on the show page, go check out woodynelson.ca, you'll see some of that beautiful artwork that features, of course, Bob, the Big Orange Bridge, which is pretty central to Nelson itself. Now, let's get to the products. This is Glade Runner. And as I said, this is just one gorgeous-looking bud. Hints of spiced apple, green apple, a little bit of cookie dough. I don't know whether it's the years I've been smoking cannabis or just my nose is not up to, to those requirements, but it's always difficult for me to grab some of those notes, and I'm not picking up a bunch of cookie dough. Doesn't mean you won't. What's the profile we're talking about? Now, on the jar, it does list the THC, which is sitting at 29.9. Tells me the total terps, which is sitting at 2.8. But on the jar, it doesn't give me the individual terpenes. So for that, we're going to go to what the website says. And that tells me that beta caryophylline is going to be 0.7%. Beta myrcene at 0.5%. And limonene at 0.4%. There's the background. We know a little bit about the weed now. Hand trimmed, obviously. When you take a look at this bud, there's no way that a machine did this. 
uh, just remarkably handcrafted and hand-trimmed. That is one big sucker of a bud, I have to say. And as I said, the second bud was big enough for me to get a joint and for me to get the Crafty Plus all ready to go. And speaking of the Crafty Plus, it is all warmed up. I think it's time we had a taste of Glade Runner, which again is a cross of animal cookies. Now, I haven't told you about the strain. Let's do that before we actually try it. The Woody Nelson edition of Animal Cookies and Cushman's Number no. 11 Genetic was bred by Seed Junkie Genetics and grown in an indoor vertical farm using organic living soil. This high THC cultivar is rich in terpenes, including beta-caryophyllene, beta-myrcene, D-limonene, and smells like green apple and cookie dough. The plant's colorful frosty buds are hand-trimmed and cured for a minimum of three weeks before packaging. Our big, beautiful buds arrive non-irradiated and with a Bovita humidity pack. And they certainly did. Bovita packs right down the bottom. Beautiful aroma out of that nice glass jar as soon as you open it. And as I already said, packaged in March of 2023. That's pretty good. Just a couple of months from when we're talking. Here it is. This is Woody Nelson, Glade Runner, first from the joint. Mmm. Very, very smooth. And in terms of the taste notes, I get a little of that green apple sensation. Maybe there's a bit of cookie dough on the exhale. Oh. <laughs> now, I must also, in full transparency, advise that this is the first cultivar corner I have done since returning from my Australian vacation, where I had an absence of cannabis for the most part for almost three weeks. So I expect this may hit a bit harder than many of the cultivar corners in the past, we shall see. And I can tell you already, it's starting to get into my endocannabinoid system after two tokes. <laughs> there, there may be reason for you to take a tolerance break. Now that I've had a couple of tokes off the joint and can feel it kind of making me giggly already, let's try the Crafty Plus and see what it tastes like. Oh, hmm. And the Crafty Plus kind of brings that green apple with the cookie dough together. Hmm. And with a THC of 29.9%, holy crap. <laughs> it's just flying into my endocannabinoid system here. Aha. <laughs> uh -huh. I haven't been high. I, I've had a, a, as you may find out in another part of the episode, I did have some Australian weed that, that kind of kept me to have a taste of cannabis. Not really the effect though. And this my first full smoking session after returning from Australia. And I thought Woody Nelson would be an appropriate one to do. And I am not disappointed. <laughs> Now, if you have been a follower of the Cannabis Podcast for any length of time, you know that it is my propensity, whenever I'm doing a cultivar corner, to just keep smoking and to smoke that joint right down to the end to wrap up the Crafty Plus. 
And since the whole point of me doing a tolerance break was to see if I could get better effect from less weed, the answer is a resounding yes. Wow. I've only smoked about a third of the joint so far. And that'll be the last one of the joint. I'm going to take one more hit out of the Crafty Plus. Smooth. Those delightful green apple tastes. The terpenes rolling around in my endocannabinoid system. Beta-caryophyllene, beta-myrcene, limonene. <sighs> There's my happy eyes. <laughs> they are there. There's the giggles, which sometimes come along with happy eyes. Oh, just that body deep relaxation that I have been wanting for <laughs> three weeks now. <laughs> it's nice to get it back. Really nice to get it back. Thank you, Woody. THC 29.9. Total terps, 2.8. Total high, about an 8.9. I am loving this. If this is a result of me cutting down on my cannabis consumption, then I think I'm going to continue to cut down on my cannabis consumption and just do these not as frequently as I was, but wow, I am very, very impressed. Woody Nelson, Glade Runner, from the folks at Woody Nelson in Nelson. Can I say Nelson any more times? <laughs> I probably could, but you probably fast forward to get to the next part of all this. <laughs> so that's it. Uh, I am definitely impressed. I am a fan. I figured I would be. Well, actually, I already knew I was a fan of it because I have tried the other product from Woody Nelson. And that is, let me just cover that off. That's a rainbow driver. I have given that a try. And in all honesty, I had recorded a cultivar corner with rainbow driver prior to my Australian trip. But I apparently forgot to, to save the recording. <laughs> that was supposed to appear on the last episode of the Cannabis Podcast, but when I went looking for it, I couldn't find it. So that also tells me that it must have ended up with me being pretty high. <laughs> and and I have to say that this high is more of a more of a clear headed high. Like like the head feels really good. It feels really strong. I'm definitely buzzed, but I'm not as stoned is that maybe that's not the word i'm looking for i'm maybe i'm not as fuzzy as as i used to be i'm liking it woody nelson glade runner 29.9 percent thc yay to the kootenies sharing stories about good weed while trying good weed this is the cannabis podcast and the first place I heard about this story was actually on a local news source. That is castanets.net. Believe it or not, the Competition Bureau is recommending changing THC limits for edibles and easing pot packaging. Canada's Competition Watchdog is putting its weight behind some longtime cannabis industry asks, including easing restrictions on cannabis packaging and adjusting limits on how much of pot's psychoactive component can be in edible products. In a submission to Health Canada and a panel reviewing cannabis legislation published Friday. The Competition Bureau positioned changing tetrahydrocannabinol limits and giving pot companies more freedoms around packaging and marketing as a way to boost competition. The Bureau believes that stronger competition in the cannabis industry would help foster innovation and benefit consumers by providing them an increased choice in quality, it wrote in its submission. 
Importantly, these benefits would serve to further displace illicit market activity and bolster the legal cannabis industry. A 2022 survey from Health Canada found nearly half of 10,048 respondents who used cannabis in the past year purchased the substance exclusively from legal sources, an increase from 43% in 2021. Some believe the true share of the illicit market is higher because of the stigma around revealing cannabis use. Pop producers and shops have long felt THC and packaging changes would chisel away at the market share illicit sellers have and help them reduce the hefty number of layoffs, facility closures, and write-downs they've taken in recent years to keep their businesses afloat. Their calls for change have grown in recent months after Ottawa launched a review last year of the Cannabis Act, which set purchase and possession limits and established safety requirements for growing, selling, and transporting the substance. When legalization legislation came into effect in 2018, it prevented cannabis products from being packaged in a way that is enticing to use and limited THC in edibles to 10 milligrams per package. Illicit products often exceed that limit by at least 10 times. Stakeholders have told the Bureau increasing the limit to 100 milligrams could make edible cannabis products more appealing to consumers, especially those currently sourcing them from the illicit market. The Bureau suggested easing restrictions on cannabis promotion, packaging, and labeling would also give producers more room to innovate and help consumers make more informed purchasing decisions. To comply with regulations, most pot companies package their products in staid black or white containers, devoid of eye-catching branding, which could help differentiate one product from another. The Bureau also took aim at the cannabis licensing process and compliance costs, suggesting they be made minimally intrusive to competition where possible. The process currently requires cannabis producers to have facilities nearly completed, a process often costing millions, before they can receive licenses. Then there are lengthy and costly security requirements and annual regulatory fees. By minimizing the regulatory burden of the licensing process and reducing compliance costs where possible, decision-makers can reduce barriers to entry and expansion, as well as stimulate even more effective competition, said the Bureau. Rounding out its recommendations was a suggestion regarding excise duties, an area outside of the panel reviewing the Act's purview. And of course, we just finished talking about the excise duty. Those duties are imposed on products when they're delivered to buyers. For dried and fresh cannabis plants and seeds, they amount to the higher of $1 per gram or a 10% per gram fee. For edibles, extracts, and topicals, it's a flat rate based on the number of milligrams of total THC in the product. There are additional duties in Alberta, Nunavut, Ontario, and Saskatchewan. The total amount of unpaid cannabis excise duties has risen since legalization, the Bureau said. As of September 22, 66% of licensees required to remit excise duties had an outstanding debt with the CRA, the Bureau said. Many stakeholders interviewed by the Bureau raised Canada's excise duty framework and excise duty rates specifically as a major barrier to competition in the cannabis industry, the submission said. These stakeholders told the Bureau that the current excise duty regime makes profitability and viability in the industry very challenging. Canopy Growth Corp., a Smith Falls, Ontario cannabis company, welcomed the Bureau's recommendations, Chief Executive David Klein said. He found the suggestions mirror many of the industry's pleas. Legal producers need to be able to deliver the range of formats and potency that consumers are looking for to compete with the illicit market and support a sustainable cannabis industry in Canada, he said in a statement. It's equally critical that restrictions on engagement with consumers be revised to facilitate informed purchasing decisions. And we hope government will act swiftly on these recommendations as time is of the essence. Organigram, a Moncton, New Brunswick-based cannabis firm, is also aligned with the Bureau, especially because it believes changes to the THC cap are necessary. The cap drives consumers to the illicit market, Chief Executive Bina Goldenberg said in an email. While packaging restrictions hinder our ability as licensed producers to effectively communicate and differentiate our products. That, again, fabulous news that an organization as 
well-known and is revered the correct word? I don't know, the Competition Bureau? But it's nice to have somebody other than those of us in cannabis finally stating the obvious. These changes have to occur now. How fast will the government move? And we're going back to StrackHand.com for our last story. And this I just found interesting. The Ontario Cannabis Store has issued a product recall for a mint CBD spray it says is classified as an unlicensed prescription drug. The recall, issued on May 25th, is for Feather Brand's Dream Mint CBD Rapid Spray from Motif Labs Limited. The product is no longer listed by the OCS.ca. The OCS shared a similar product recall in April for a CBD product they said was an unapproved prescription drug. The CBD soft gels were previously listed on the OCS as each containing 20 milligrams of CBD, 0 THC, as well as 10 milligrams of melatonin and chamomile oil. No other details on why the Dream Mint CBD spray was recalled were provided. The product package date on the recalled units was February 7, 2023 to March 19, 2023. Some retailers list the product as also containing melatonin, as does an archived version of Feather's website, saying the product is stabilized with melatonin. Health Canada regulates melatonin under the Natural Health Products Regulations. It's commonly advertised as an effective sleep aid. However, some medical experts warn that it can cause side effects such as dizziness, nausea, headaches, and muscle aches if used in high doses. Health Canada recently issued a product recall for a CBD product on April 4th that contained 20 milligrams of CBD and 3 milligrams of melatonin, calling it an unauthorized product. The notice said it was a product sold without market authorization, DIN, in Canada. A DIN is a drug identification number. Timing really is everything. (laughs) Here is my opportunity to tell you about my tolerance break that was a requirement of me visiting Australia and having no access to cannabis, or at least I thought I would have no access to cannabis. And timing is also relevant because you may be hearing some banging in the background, and it's the kind of banging that I can't really do much with when I try to edit the audio files afterwards. You're just going to hear that. This is the first time in 20 years that there has been renovation activity in the house next door to me, and that's right outside my studio window. And there you go. So I apologize for that, but that will not stop me from giving you a rundown on how my tolerance break went. I was remarkably surprised, actually. I started it about a week before we left, give myself a lot of lead time. If I was going to be a grumpy bear of any kind, I thought, let me do that at home before I'm with my daughter and son-in-law. So the first week was rather uneventful. Didn't cause me a whole lot of problems. I started to have a little issue sleeping. I guess that would be the one issue that did occur. And that started raising its head at about night number four, I think, of my stopping cannabis. Because I always smoked cannabis just before I went to bed. So bam, I was asleep. And my wife used to joke that I was only in bed for 30 seconds reading my book before I was fast asleep and she wished she could do that herself. So that was the one issue that did occur in that first week of going through the tolerance break where it became a little bit more difficult to fall asleep. I was still able to sleep through the night. I wasn't having any insomnia or waking up in the middle of the night or any of those issues. So that was fairly pleasant and I thought not too bad at all. And then it came to time for arrival in Australia. So now I'm into my second week of being off of cannabis, I've gotten, and I guess the other thing that I realized in that first week, and you may be the same way if you are a 
daily cannabis smoker. So much of what I was doing was just a ritual. I wasn't really enjoying the experience as much as I should have, as much as I once did, because it was so much of a ritual. I realized that I was, and I did have a listener once comment to me that he felt that that was what I was really all concerned about. I was missing the opportunity to actually enjoy the experience. That's one thing I realized, that I did miss the opportunity to enjoy the experience. I was all about rolling a joint, smoking it, and as soon as that joint was out, I was already in the process of rolling another one, not really giving myself any opportunity to enjoy it. So that's the big knowledge kick that hit me in that first week, probably during my 20 hours on an airplane flying in that first week is probably where many of those thoughts came from. So, end result, back home, you heard the Cultivar Corner, if you've come this far, that was featured in this episode, and that was pretty representative of what my experience was coming back. And that was, that it got me pretty buzzed pretty fast. <laughs> and then I enjoyed it. And that's the difference I'm going to try to maintain. I'm not going to purport that I won't be a daily smoker. I think I probably will be. But I'm going to cut that back so that it's, you know, after maybe, maybe 420s. Maybe that's why 420 is a magical time. Maybe, of course, that's, I'm working at 420. That could be a problem. <laughs> I don't know. I'll figure out the specifics. But I have already adapted since coming back and, and having recorded that cultivar corner and had a few nights at home that it just works a whole lot better if I smoke a, a third of a joint, enjoy the high and, and enjoy the movie I'm watching or enjoy the, the project I'm working on instead of already worrying about getting that next joint going. So that's the big takeaway for me. The tolerance break itself, probably worth it. Uh, certainly has enhanced my experience. I'm getting higher and a lot faster. So in essence, that could end up saving me some money. Who knows? <laughs> so I'm enjoying that experience. I'm enjoying the fact that it gave me that chance to actually truly reevaluate my cannabis use and, and how I was using cannabis and it had become ritual. I think ritualistic is, is the term that kind of describes it all. And it was all about the ritual rather than, than the experience itself. And no deference to those of you who are listening, who use cannabis medically and you need your cannabis every day for the relief that you need. I totally get that. I am so grateful that I'm not at that depth of a level. My arthritis came back undoubtedly when I was away from cannabis. I just tried to deal with it with other methods. Um... And I know that that's not possible for some to do. But the tolerance break did reset my understanding of what I need, of the fact that I use this plant because I find it enjoyable, so why not spend some time in that enjoyment? That's the biggest takeaway for me. And it was definitely worth the effort. So that's it. If you feel like giving yourself a break and resetting your cannabis world, go for it. And once again, let me thank you for being a listener. I truly do appreciate that you are here. If you're here just occasionally or you come back every week, thank you so much for doing so. Let me give some shout-outs to Kevin and Jordana for your support at Buy Me a Coffee and Tony and Rob on Patreon. 
If you would like to become a supporter in other ways, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash cannabis podcast. Perhaps if you like what you hear and you feel so inclined, you can buy me a doobie or you can go to Patreon and you can become a patron. All the details are on the top of the show page up in that bar right on the top right. If you ever have a comment on anything you hear in the Cannabis Podcast, please send a note to info at CannabisPodcast.com. And next time, I won't mention my Australia trip at all. That's it for episode 124 of the Cannabis Podcast. From the cannabis-infused studio, high above the Okanagan Valley, this was the Cannabis Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.